And I'm not going to give you some new radical spin on something that we all know is true. But what I am going to do is re reiterate the heart of worship, my heart of worship, and my passion about what we do when we worship. So the first place we're going to go is Proverbs 4.7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all of your getting, get an understanding. This is a really powerful and important scripture. And while it doesn't directly apply to worship, it applies to everything that we do here when we meet and fellowship. It also applies to everything we do when we pick up the word, everything we do when we spend time with the Spirit. You see, having knowledge is a wonderful thing. I can pick up a book and I can read it and gain knowledge from that. But in order to have an understanding of that knowledge, I have to put that knowledge into practice. Let's take an example. Right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Superman. Ready? Can you guys read that? Math is stupid. Ride motorcycles. <laughs> math is really stupid. And believe it or not, I didn't have knowledge of math until I was college age. Right? <clears throat> I knew about math. I almost passed it, as in I didn't fail. I was I scooted by. I knew just the bare minimum. I was so bad that I couldn't even do my multiplication tables. I couldn't, you can ask her, I, percentages broke me into tears. Numbers were scary. What I didn't know until I got into college was I had a severe form of dyslexia that involves numbers. And so I took a final exam and completely obliterated it. Now this is what they called, I'm not going to say what they called it in college, but it was remedial beginning math, right? Failed, bombed, miserably bombed the final Two months after the final, in the middle of the summer break, the, the professor calls me. She says, I need you to come in and see me. So I go in to see her, fully expecting to never be allowed back in the building. <laughs> and she says, I just happened to go through your, your written work and see that you had the concept. You had the idea, but this number would end up here, and this number would end up here, and then your answer would be wrong. And then in this formula, this number would be here, and this number would be here. And, and in your long division, you, you, everything's backwards and jumbled up, but you get it, so I'm going to give you an A. But that gave me the confidence to slow down a little bit and say, well, maybe I can do this and start to develop understanding of math. Through that knowledge that I gained in the class and the understanding by putting in the practice, I gained something called wisdom. See, wisdom is the principal thing. And in order to get it, we have to do things and put them in practice. And to put them in practice, we have to first learn them. Again, with Psalm 156, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, if you guys were here or you've watched the sermon from a couple of weeks ago, I told you that this was going to be a continuation. This is a series within a series with a week break. But you understand and you remember, and if you don't, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. We talked about breath in life and speaking light into the world. And this says, if not the most pivotal scripture to prove that, and I love it because it says, and I'm going to read it again because it's that powerful, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now we remember the scriptures open up with a, de a depiction of God breathing into cosmic chaos. I'm not going to linger on this too much, but I'm going to read through it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's important. Remember that. The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Now how many of you in this room have heard the word ruach before? Give me some hands. Look at me. I know we've had a lot of turkey this weekend, but I need you to help me out, okay? Let's wake up a little bit because I want to go to sleep too. Turkey's a mean thing. Yeah. Oh, he's got his hand up back there, but he's, he's the teacher's pet. 
In Hebrew, ruach means spirit. But if we dig a little bit deeper, and that's the fun thing about Hebrew, is one word can have a few different meanings. It can go down a few different paths. But it also means breath or wind. So when it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, what I see in here is God's breath, God's wind, was hovering over chaos. And in order for things to be spoken into existence, like we said a couple weeks ago, God had to breathe it into existence. And created in his image, we have the ability to breathe things into existence. The Bible all through it describes creatures as the breath of life. God's breath placed within all living things. We just sang a song about it. You can't tell I'm preaching a little bit today because this is powerful. In the act of creation, God imparts life into his creatures. And we read further last week when we got into second Genesis, he breathed life into Adam's nostrils. He took mud, formed it into man. Let's be silly for a minute. Poked two holes. I mean, think about him making the nose. That had to be funny. Poked two holes breathed life into it. See, the thing is, God doesn't merely bestow life upon humanity. God places God's breath within them, and that breath is the life. Right? Now, I ask you guys, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's wait. Similarly, we can look look at Job, right? Job remarks in Job 33.4, The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So then again, Job, and we all know the trouble and the trials that Job went through. And a sidebar, sidebar, yesterday, I hadn't even considered putting this in my message until I was listening to public radio, NPR, yesterday. What a weird place to find God, right? I love Saturdays on NPR because it's a whole lot less of classical music and a whole lot more of people talking. And sometimes these people are so smart, they're stupid. Right? Sometimes you shake your head, but I love it. I love to impart knowledge into myself that way. But there's this show called Spark Judgment. And it's stories. And it's this guy that tells these stories, and it's got hip-hop music happening behind it. And it's always kind of like an old radio drama. I grew up listening to radio dramas with my dad, and this reminds me of that. But yesterday I hear this man basically jive talking hip-hop urban music playing behind him, and he's reading Job. And it brought back to recollection Job 33, 4, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. This breathing out of creation is not merely a past event. God's breath doesn't stop. It doesn't just create life and then stop. It brings new life. God's breath recreates. We can also see this in Ezekiel. In the valley of the dry bones, Ezekiel sees the valley laying bones, nothing, nothingness. And he records, I looked at the tendons in the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. The full animation of the lifeless bones didn't happen until he did some certain thing. He spoke it into existence. And so Ezekiel goes on to say in 37.10, I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life, stood upon their feet, a vast army. So then again, we see, sorry. Then again, we see breath creating life. But that wasn't God creating life. It was a man, a man breathing life into existence through faith that it would happen. And we see God's breath creates new life. The fact that God's breath created us and sustains us will always help us in those times of anxiety, of heartache, of trouble, when things just get the worst. We talked about last week going through the week that I went through, how God put me right up in the middle of chaos so I could understand it a little bit better to bring the message to you. And the only answer that I had to get through it was to stop and to breathe. Now, the New Age people will tell us that's yoga. 
And while I guess that's all fine and dandy, if that's what you're into, I'm naming it Foga. To just take a breath, pause, and breathe. There's a reason why therapists and counselors and psychiatrists even will tell somebody that's having major anxiety, that's bipolar, that has any sort of stress anxiety disorder to stop first and breathe. There's exercises to make your body focus on breath. There's things that I practice having dealt with severe crippling anxiety in my life. And the power of, the power of breath, the power of life, changes that, calms me down, breathes new life into the situation. So what's this got to do with worship? What does it really mean? What is it really? Well, this is the fun part. It might, it might push some buttons, but if I wasn't here to challenge you, I wouldn't be doing my job. For years, if you asked me why I was created, I would have said to worship. And then I would have morphed into to be in communion with God, to walk this earth hand in hand and side by side. And like I said last week, making fun of my grandmother's bookmark, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. But through the revelations I've had over the last few months, I'm starting to see that it really kind of gets a lot simpler than that. And as I said last couple weeks ago, my opinion is that we're created to breathe first because that's the first step to everything it's the first step to creation so what is worship worship is breath it's also why we're created and more importantly it's not just a song how many times have you heard that literally nobody's raising their hands well that's a big fat lie Matthew 18.20, wherever two or more are gathered, I am in the midst. Now, some of these scriptures aren't going to be up there because I'm going to fly through them real quick and not really teach on them. But we've all heard that. Wherever two or more are gathered, I am in the midst. And the reason he's in the midst of those situations is because we are the living temple and we carry him with us. But if I'm the living temple, have you ever actually taken a moment to look at what lungs look like? And then maybe remember the big stained glass windows in the big old churches. I can't help but think that maybe there's a little coincidence there. Maybe there's a reason why arches and things are so prevalent in churches and in places, houses of the Lord and places of religion. If we're the temple, then we carry him everywhere we go. And there when we come together, he gets to come out because we start to speak breath into each other. Much more than just a song, worship should not be the soundtrack to what our lives look like. Sorry, should be the soundtrack to what our lives look like. Not only should we sing it, but we should live it. We're going to get into some practicalities of this and talk a little bit about it, but Worship's not just the songs that we sang this morning when we came in. Some people, it, I, I, I giggle a little bit when people start telling me how excited they are to come worship because they've had such a really bad, bad week. While there's nothing wrong with that, and it's a good healing place, and we say that this place is a hospital. I want them to be encouraged to have worshipped so much throughout the week through their pain and their chaos. When they walk through the front door, they explode before we even get started. <clears throat> Until we realize this fact, we will regulate our worship to things and experiences rather than the alignment of our hearts. I, I've battled this. I was a professional musician. I played all over the place. Big stages, lights, sound, smoke machines, bands that would blow your ears off. I got to do some really, really cool things. So when I came into the praise and worship world and into the church, I had some similar experiences, some big platforms, some big lights, some big sounds. And I thought that was worship. That what we did this morning, just a guitar and two people singing, couldn't compete. 
How many times have you been in a worship service and been so distracted by how bad the band is? Come on, we can laugh and have fun this morning. It's okay. Or the lights are shooting right into your eyeballs. I've been there. It's like a, a, a skillet concert at church, right? Or the sound is so bad that it's squealing and everything sounds off and it's such a big distraction. Or in my position, I can't play with these people, right? Now, we're going to go old school a little bit today, and we're going to hit some places in the Old Testament. Now, understand when we go here, we have a path to get to the new. So we're going to go from the old to the new. But there's some really key things in here. Now, don't take these as judgment or condemnation or pointing out that you have to live a certain way. They're here to prove a point. And I'm going to get somewhere. We're on a path. Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, you must love your God and always obey his requirements, regulations, decrees, and commands. My point in that scripture is that all through the Bible there are things that are spoken to us. You can take the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and see things like giving, loving your enemies, serving, truth, love. Everybody look at me. Love. True love. Beatles said it best, who knew they were prophets? All you need is love, right? Ties me into the next Deuteronomy scripture. Deuteronomy 11.13, if you carefully obey the commandments I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord God and serve him with all your heart and soul, let's go to 22, be careful to obey the commands that I am giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. Well, if he's in us now, then he wasn't. But if he's in us now, how do we hold tightly to him? If he's already in me and I'm carrying him and I'm in temple, how do I live that out? Let's take the old to the new. Matthew 22, 33 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had just silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, now we were back in the law a minute ago, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, the prophets, hang on these two commandments. The greatest thing that we can do on this earth is to love God and to love our brothers, to love our neighbors. This isn't a have to. You have to not look at it as a law and a regulation. Even though Jesus says that these are the two greatest commandments, this isn't a have to, this is a get to. I get the opportunity to love you when you make me mad. I get the opportunity to tell you the truth when I've wronged you. I get the opportunity to serve you when you're in need. I get the opportunity to bless you financially even though I might not have much. I get the opportunity to prophesy into your life. Now, we make the word prophesy and prophecy this real big, magical, Holy Spirit moving, flowing through the world, monstrous thing. And like the, the light's got to be just right. The clouds move. God speaks thundering, booming voices. No. When I say God loves you and he cares for you and he wants nothing but the best for you, I'm prophesying into your life. When I tell you I know it's really bad right now, but I know how my God works and it's going to get better. You just don't see it yet. I'm prophesying into your life. When I tell you that no matter how hard it was to lose your loved one, and I can't explain to you why, we know there's something better coming. I'm prophesying 
into your life. And when I speak that light into your situations, I'm speaking worship directly into you. I like to think about the little old church lady. I I giggle and cackle about this all the time. I got to spend a couple, well, maybe not that long, but a good long time in a church. Right? I'm going to be politically correct. Everybody was way darker than me in this church. And I was the only really bright one. Literally. And I was playing the lowest instrument. I was playing the bass. And I was so out of place, it was hilarious. But there was these little old church ladies. And they, everywhere we went, it didn't matter where we went to worship, where we went to play, if we got the good parking spot, thank you, Jesus. They were speaking parking spots into existence. They were speaking fully cooked fried chicken into existence. I'm telling you, they had the power of the Spirit on them to the point that everything was worshipped. They could break a heel off. I saw it happen on a platform. Thank you, Jesus, I was too tall anyway. (laughs) So we have the opportunity to take everything that's coming at us and spin it right around. Because the fact of the matter is, we talk about the finished work of the cross, and we we really lean into that, and the grace, mercy, and love that come from that, and we say that victory's already been won, and the devil has been defeated, but he didn't give up. And I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just speaking some life into you. He's still going to try to distract you. He's still going to try to poke at you. Right? But that being said, we cannot worship God out of fear. We can't worship God out of mimic. We can't fake it. It's not show. You can come here on a Sunday morning and lift your hands and look to the sky and push out some tears and it not be real. You can say thank you Jesus for that parking spot like the little old black lady but it not hit the heart. I can walk down the street and hand the guy on the corner with a sign saying, homeless, God loves you, need help. I can hand him a hundred bucks. But if I'm expecting something on the other end, it's all about a position of the heart. And as we said, it's not about rules and regulations or circumstances and things. So my question is now, and if you guys are Michael Todd fans, Stop waving your hand back there, teacher's pet. Then some of this may sound familiar to you. See, the best form of flattery is that other word that just went out of my head. This message, this next session, this this next part is directly derived from a series that Michael Todd gave about six years ago that completely and forever changed my life. And I want to ask you a question, the same question that he would have posed. Has your love leaked? I'm asking you, do you know? Like I said, some of this can ruffle some feathers, but I'm, I'm, I mean it to be encouraging, and we're going to get somewhere with that. Ephesians 6, 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Right? Passion says it pretty cool too. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield. For it's able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming to you from the eagle, evil one. Lack of faith allows our love to diminish and the enemy to fill us. I have an illustration for you and I was going to do it, but I didn't bring the stuff. So we'll just talk about it. There's little teeny tiny styrofoam cups that we have in the, the, the metal room. What's that room called? The activities building. We drink coffee out of them. Little styrofoam cups are about that big. They're small. They're really small. And, and I'll be honest with you, they don't hold enough coffee. Right? How many times have you had one of those little cups and wished that it was bigger? It's really hot outside and Remember those end of summer things we used to do in elementary school? Field days, that's what they were. It was ridiculously hot. We're all running around like idiots, paper sacks and burlap sacks and egg tosses and 
It's hot, and they give you that little teeny tiny baby cup of water, and it was never enough, right? See, the thing about it is, is when, <clears throat> when, when <clears throat> how many of you know that you were given an A-plus from the beginning? It would have been a lot easier for me in, in junior high school and high school had the teacher said, you got an A. You just have to maintain it. Instead of saying, and the schools I went to were rough schools, as in they were very academically challenging, instead of saying, you got to earn this, and you're going to have to work really hard. You see, my father doesn't tell me that. He tells me from the very beginning, you've got an A+. Plus. And the thing about it is, is I'm always going to be trying to give you an A+. Plus. I'm always going to try to sustain you right here. But are you going to get in the way? Right? So think about the little cup. We start off with that little cup. And he gives it to us and he fills it right up to the top. And you're going a little slow. It's everything you can do to keep that water right at the very top. And the funny thing is about water is it has a membrane. And when you feel a, fill a vessel to the top, it'll actually overflow without spilling. And that's how it is in the beginning. But as humans and people who trip over themselves, we're going to spill a little bit. Or in my case, I'm going to spill all of it. Or I'm going to get the fidgeting and drawing in the styrofoam, which I love to do, and I'm going to make a leak. And I'm going to carve another lie on the other side of it. And it's going to start to leak. And then I'm going to fidget with the little nipple on the bottom and pick at it and pick at it and pick at it until it comes out. And then I've created another lie that's now leaking. And before I know it, my cup is empty. And, and he keeps trying to sustain it and fill it up. And he keeps pouring it in because it's a never-ending waterfall. And he keeps trying to fill it. But I keep poking and picking and poking until I start to realize things are leaking. So I get me a piece of tape and I put a tape through it and that's a promise of God and I take another piece of tape and I put it on the bottom and that's another promise. And then I take another piece of tape and I put it on the where I was making my big F as in Frank is the most awesomeness and I cover that over and that's another promise. And before you know it, I've, I've got my cup so strong that a blessing comes. Now I'm not saying I had to do anything to earn that blessing. He had that blessing planned out for me well in advance before I ever took a breath. He had that blessing planned out before Jesus even went to the cross. But my blessing comes, and now I've got the bottle of water. And it's filled up all the way to the top. And we know that every time we open one of these flimsy little bottles of water, a little bit spills out because it's always full. It's always perfect, and we can put a little bit more water in, and he's going to keep filling it up, and it's a whole lot easier to keep it. Because I've spent time with my daddy, and he's made my shield strong. And now my shield wraps around, a complete wrap-around shield, so the little pokes and lies that the enemy tells me to tell myself, you heard me right, that the enemy tells me to tell myself, can't penetrate the wall. Deuteronomy 36 in the message says, God, your God, will cut away the thick calluses on your heart and your children's heart, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart, soul, and live, really live. We serve a God that does not require what he's not already given. Not only did he give us the A+, he gave us every tool we needed. Ah, I forgot it again. He gave us every tool we needed to fulfill that. Electronic Bible time. Right? He gave us every tool, every promise, every spoken, written word of love. I said spoken because it all started spoken first. Stop texting. Hold on, that's another pastor. Do you not disturb? Well, that just messed all that up. Okay, here we go. 
Worship is love first. Our love is the primary ingredient to worship. So let's go another step further. And this is my favorite part. Love expressed. Love makes no sense and has no reason to exist unless we do something with it. Beale said it best. All you need is love. I'm going to start singing it if we're not careful. Expressed means to convey a thought or a feeling in words or gestures and conduct. So let's take that. I'm going to read it again. Expressed to convey a thought or feeling in words or by gestures and conduct. Convey means to communicate. How do you communicate? Take a breath and you speak. Words, how I speak to my father. Gestures, raising hands, clapping, jumping, etc. Conduct, how I live my life. These are four ways that we can express love, and they're the only ways. But you say, well, what about the mute? I've seen them worship. What about the deaf, the blind? They can't see you. What about what about the lame that can't move, that can't lift their hands, the, the quadriplegics? Well, I've seen them worship. Because it's not about actions or gestures or circumstances. It's about a positioning of the heart. While I may not be able to lift my hands, if I lift them in my heart, I'm giving praise to the God to the God, to God. When I'm home alone and every temptation in the world is in front of me to go back into my old life, even if I don't physically lift my hands, even though it's a great form and posture to get our hearts and mind into a new place, if I lift my hands and my heart and say, thank you, Jesus, that you've delivered me from the sin, you've delivered me from the addiction, and that you've delivered me from the heartache that I caused in so many... Ah! I want to give you... I'm gonna th- I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to give you a true picture of worship. Just something I experienced this week. In counseling and talking with another pastor, because that's the great thing about having a network of people that want to oversee you and work with you. Iron sharpens iron. And this, this, this other pastor's heart is breaking. He's torn apart. Experiencing a world and a situation within the church that he doesn't understand why it's happening. It's something that we've preached and taught on here called church hurt. Something that unfortunately way too many of us have had to walk through. Promises being broken. Just complete heartache in this person. So I asked this person, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? And fully expecting this man to tell me, well, I'm going to give my notice and I'm going to leave and, or I'm just going to walk out and not go back because it's, it's, it's been that bad to the point where he's had that conversation with me numerous times. I can't do this anymore. And thankfully, we have relationship to the point that we can call each other out on these sort of things but we can say stop and let's think about some things. So in my questioning, after months of talking about this, I ask him, what are you going to do? And I see the most pure picture of worship I've ever seen. He says to me, I'm not going to do anything except for do exactly what my father tells me to do and stay there as long as he tells me to because the the heartache and the hurt that my conversations would bring or undo because I know the true heart. See, in a complete place of brokenness and being torn apart, there's the opportunity to go in and be some of those lies and arrows. But instead, choosing to take that wraparound shield of faith and the maturity and give it back to the Father by honoring the person because they know 
things were done that weren't intentional. And I told him, I said, that's probably the most mature thing I've ever heard. So that brings me to the next point. When is worship the proper response? This is the question and answer time. When is worship the proper response? I want to hear it louder. Do you mean it? I don't believe it. Worship, ascribing worth to something or someone, assigning value to something worth ship. And if you've ever had a pastor teach on worship, I'm sure they've told you worth ship. Worship is time spent equaling an assigned value. That time can be a moment, it can be a second, it can be a minute. It can be an hour. It can be three hours. I've gone into prayer meetings and then closed my eyes and opened them three hours later and us look at each other and go, what happened? Worship can be an instant. It can be, you banged my car. I love you. It's not a big deal. I'll get it fixed. Worship can be, man, they're loud. Ever, you ever been in line waiting for something? We all just did Black Friday, right? And there are people behind you and in front of you and there are kids. I love kids. I'm not lying either. I love kids, right? But sometimes kids get tired. And when kids get tired, they get loud. And when kids get tired and they get loud, their hands flail. And I have this uncanny ability to attract those hands. But in those kinds of moments, and I'm making jokes and lights of situations, but we have opportunities to worship, right? And you guys have heard me give this analogy before. I talk about it all the time, and I love it. But an engagement ring is a form of worship. When a man works his... Now, disclaimer here. The first ring that I gave this woman was like a $3 copper ring with a bead on it. I'm not when you and if you came to our did we talk about that in the February last year? I don't know if we did or not, but the 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 whole production of giving that ring ascribed some value. That's my point. But the engagement ring <clears throat> is a form of worship of a, a husband to be to the bride. Right? I know this because I'm a photographer, you know it. And when we do engagement shoots, how important is that ring? Very important. And the bigger the ring, the more pictures they want. <laughs> right? And the nails done and all the fancy, the fancy cliche pictures that we all take, and they're really fun to take. And the smaller the ring, the one picture they want. Right? Are they still with her nails done? <clears throat> or when she gets the ring and she runs into the room with all her girlfriends, oh, my God, look at my ring. It's that important. It ascribes a value to her. And sadly, I'm pretty sure there are some people that look at how big the ring is and decide how much value that ascribes. But that's not my point. I have a place where I'm going. The amount of time and the work that the man had to put in to buy the ring, there's even a funny story about me putting in time and work and spending a lot of money on a ring. Long story. Well, that's for another time. But the time and work, they say that a, uh, an engagement ring, or they used to, is a three-month salary. So then, that's what I took to heart. So I didn't pay my rent to my, my, my roommate. No joke. If you've been asking, he's in Huntington right now. Didn't pay my rent, saved all the money, hardly ate, ate all his food. I suffered. And I bought her a ring. Now my purpose in that, those statements is this. The cross is the engagement ring to the bride. The cross is the engagement ring of the bride of Christ. Now I fell asleep making my notes, so these aren't going to be on the screen. God sacrificed everything. God sacrificed everything as in his son to prove to us what we're worth. 
He sent his only begotten son to walk this earth, live like he wanted us to live, teach us lessons, speak truth physically into the earth, and then to give his life to take the keys to hell for us. Now, if that doesn't make you want to get up on your feet and shout, then you're broken. Right? And I'm trying to fix you. The cross shows heaven, hell, and all the earth how much God, the groom, loves the bride, us. When God the Father sent his son to the cross, he was kneeling at his knee with the ring asking us to marry him. He was asking us to create a covenant with him, a forever thing, and be his bride. I giggle at that. I still do because I'm a boy. I can't help it. The beautiful thing is when I started to realize that relationship of a bride and a groom and God being my groom and me being his bride and the value that he put on me when he sent his son to the cross and knelt on his knees... Right, But did you know that in that action of kneeling on his knees and proposing to us, he was teaching the purest form of worship to get to our knees in posture and say, Father, I love you and I'm thankful that you love me and want to marry me. I'm thankful that despite of my crap and my humanness and my flaws, that you will continually chase me, continually pour into my broken vessels, will continually knock on the door of my heart, begging me to take a seat at the table with you. I'm a mean guy sometimes. I, I am. She knows. She's seen it. She's seen it. Just about everybody in this room has seen it. I'm kind of a jerk. I don't deserve anything that my father wants to give me. But did you know that sometimes he will bless me, and then he'll bless me, and then he'll bless me, and then he'll give me, and he'll give me, and he'll give me, and I'll get so distracted by the blessings that I'll forget about the challenge that I challenged you guys with two weeks ago. And I won't spend my first 15 with him. My 15 has, that went to 45, that went to an hour and a half, has now become nothing. And I got up late, and I went directly into my day, and I had to go do this shoot, and I had to go teach this boxing class, and then I had to run over here and go help this person. And while I thought that's a form of worship, that's great, and it is, I forgot to spend time with him. And I'm living so much distracted by the blessings that he's given me that I forgot to tell my, my groom, I love you. Now let me tell you, as a groom... When we go without time of her telling me that she loves me, I get mad. God doesn't get mad. I get mad. But I do get jealous. Just like him. John Mark McMillan sang it in a song that became one of the most powerful worship songs ever written. He is jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane, but I am but a tree bending beneath the weight and the wind of his mercy. And as I, as I tie this up, will you come play for me? As I tie this up, I'll give you a little backstory on that song. I'm sure you might have heard me say it, but I'm going to say it again. That song was written out of heartache and sorrow. That song was written out of brokenness and anger. It wasn't written with the purpose of becoming one of the most sung, recorded, and played worship songs in history. See, John Mark McMillan had a friend named Stephen. They were best friends, and they were missionaries, and they would travel all over the place to do all over kind of sort of things. And they were at John Mark McMillan's house one night, and he said to him, you know what, John? I just want to do one thing that changes the world. It just, if, it's just, if I can just do one thing and see one person's life changed, that's all I want. That evening, Stephen got into a car and was in a head-on collision and died. 
The next day, John McMillan sat down with his guitar and he started writing a song out of anger and heartache and hurt. He, he performed an act of worship when there was no worship left within him. He wrote a song that would lead him down a path of even more heartache and hurt. And if you go find the very original recording of it, he'll sing the first two verses and he'll sing a third verse that nobody's ever heard. And he'll break down on his best-selling album and cry his heart out. Not knowing the power that that song would have, that big-name major artists would pick that song up, re-record it, and start playing it, and that it would start to see documented hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people giving their life to Christ and recommitting and starting a whole new path with a new vessel to be filled. Do you know how I know? I'm one of those people that walked into a church lost, broken, hurting into a time of worship and heard that song and was forever changed. You see, his heartache and his pain turned into the blessing and the wish that Stephen wanted. Now, there were hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people that were affected by that song but Stephen got his wish because John Mark was the one. John Mark was the one. I could be selfish and say that I was the one because the song changed my life, but the reality is in writing that song, John Mark McMillan, through his words, got a better understanding of what worship is to the Father because he's so reckless that he wants to give us that sloppy wet kiss we don't sing in church. We change it to beautiful because we're too afraid. To be honest with you, we're too afraid to make somebody mad. We're too afraid to come in here with reckless abandon and scream and shout our heads off. I'm guilty of it. It's very easy to be up here as a leader and get lost in the fact that the track has to be right or that the bass player's off pit, off, off key or we're singing at the wrong time or you guys are looking at me like I'm stupid. Because sometimes we're all just really, really tired and that happens. And sometimes I'm looking at you the same way. And it's really easy in that moment when I'm trying to be Mary and Martha to just be Martha and be so wrapped up and distracted and everything that's going up here that I forget to worship. I had somebody ask me a couple years ago, why do you worship and lead with your eyes closed so much? Because the common teaching of worship leaders is to smile and look at you. It's true. It's what they teach in big worship conferences in schools. Smile and look at you. Because it elicits a reaction. And that's kind of our job. But a lot of times you'll see me close my eyes and kind of just look up because I have to go up there first in order to take you with me. Because I have to take a few moments and speak into him so I can hear what he may want to say to you. Would you guys stand up to your feet? <clears throat> so if, if you can't tell, the whole purpose of this month and this service, I mean, this series was to get to today. Now, I read that book and it all kind of tied in together and it was really fun how all that worked out. But this message and this, this idea is something that he's put in my heart years ago. And I've taught it to many people and I'm not going to stop because it's that important. Because when you really grasp this, and you understand that it's not just that song and it's not just coming here on Sunday mornings, even though we've been told that and pounded into our heads, if you take the opportunity to really grasp that and start to walk in it, you will see something amazing change. We, we, we say it every Sunday when we close. So Father, as... As we close with this, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Papa. I forgot that I put this up here. We get, we get opportunities, that guy right there. We get opportunities to do, me and Justin, to do some really cool things.
let me, let me tell you how thankful I am for that man because I wouldn't have the ability to be doing what I'm doing right now again in my life had he not been my brother and helped me do it. See, he had the opportunity to say, oh, go, go buy this camera that'll be fun as a consumer. But he got me right back to where I was and helped me understand a few things that as a lifetime photographer I never understood and why I hung it up. He had an opportunity be selfish. He had an opportunity to look within and say, I don't think I can have another real estate photographer around here because that's his life. But no, he took the opportunity to tell me, maybe try this camera body and get this lens. They'll be affordable and you can play with it and you can even shoot some houses with it and, and, it'll, and it'll be good. And if you need any help, let me know. And then the next day he's like, maybe buy this lens for portraits. And the next day he sent me this one. And before I know it, I'd spend a bunch of money and I was really happy. Right? So my point, my point in all that is to get to this. This is a picture that I had the blessing to take at Spruce Knob on October 8th. Now, it's fun and it's beautiful and it's a little doctored up because I like to play with my computer. And you'll see what it really looked like here in a second. And that's not my point. I hope you put too fast. But that's fine. Go back. But what I didn't know was what this picture was going to do. I just thought it was really, really pretty. And it was a great moment to be on Spruce Knob. But if you've never been to Spruce Knob, let me know. I'll take you. Because I need every excuse I can to go back to heaven. But on this moment, having the ability to take my beautiful bride to heaven on earth for me and show it to her, we got to see this sunset as we drove out of the park, out of the, out of the area. So go to the next picture. I jump out, and she takes a picture of me taking a picture, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. It's funny. You can laugh. It's okay. It's a serious moment. We can still laugh. Right? But what I didn't know was what this was and what I've kind of said in the last couple sermons that I preached is that this was an act of worship for me. Is that the amount of people that would see this picture and it would float around the internet and people would pass it to other people and then people would ask me for prints and I would bless some people with some prints of it. It would create a moment for me to be able to speak into other people's lives. And it, it is and it's a beautiful thing. We have the opportunity to turn everything that we do into an act of worship. Everything that we do. Even when, when we have Freedom Brothers, Giles is going to talk about an act of worship, taking care of yourself, taking care of your temple, patching up some of those holes physically so our love doesn't leak out. So, Father, as we close this up this evening, Just let us leave here today with a better understanding of what it's like to be your bride and what it's like to give you the praise and love and return it to you. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room that has any sort of barrier that's keeping them from moving forward in this, that maybe has fear or anxiety. We talked about earlier there is no fear, anxiety, or mimic in worship. Father, I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, that bondage falls off of them. Father, anybody under the sound of my voice, whether it's in this room, online, or you're listening a year from now, if that's you and there's a barrier that's keeping you from understanding true worship, reach out to us. That's why we're here. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. And we want to teach you what it's like to be that bride, to be worship, not just to do worship going farther, Father, if there's anybody in the house or under the sound of my voice that wants to recommit their life or wants to come to you for the first time, Father, I pray that right now there's no special prayer needed. There's nothing other than to say, yes, I do. I will marry you. Father, right now, whoever that may have been that needed to hear that this morning, Father, I pray that you give them comfort and you give them peace and you show them your grace and your mercy from this point on. Father, we love you and we lift all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.